are you at all familiar with the term genuine simulated diamond? I'm not trying to make fun of anybody if you happen to have one, but a little story. Um, years ago, when Jane and I were a youth pastor serving out in the Chicago area, uh, a good friend of ours, he and his wife, we met them the first summer we moved there, and uh, they were actually from South Jersey, where I was from. We went to high schools not far apart, and we got to know them. They had just moved to the area we're attending our church they got saved that summer because they live right across the street from our pastor and we got to know them they were great great friends became youth workers and uh, Jim uh, saw an advertisement on TV for genuine simulated diamonds now this is back in the uh, late 70s early 80s and I realize I'm saying something about my age, but don't worry about that, right? And, um, and, and he, he said he saw that, and, and it was advertised for 1995. <laughs> and uh, he just laughed, told me about it, thought it was so ridiculous, and, and we laughed. In fact, I wanted to make sure I was thinking straight, and so yesterday morning I called him. I said, Jim, tell me if I'm wrong, but... Do I remember you are being the one that talked about genuine simulated diamonds? And he immediately broke out in laughter and said, absolutely. And I do remember. And I said, well, wh what was that all about? He said, well, I remember seeing the ad on TV for it. And I was about to preach. And he was one of our youth workers, but, but ended up going off to seminary and everything and was beginning his starting to preach. And he used that as an illustration of uh, genuine faith, of genuine followers of Jesus, and, and thought genuine simulated. I mean, that's like one of those oxymorons, right? Amen. Genuine simulated. What in the world is there such a thing? And, and simulated. So I had to look it up. And uh, he, uh, simulated means to imitate the appearance or character of. Synonyms. Pretend. Fake. Sham. That's... <laughs> Counterfeit. Again, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody who bought one, but um, that's what the dictionary says. Okay, so genuine. The, the dictionary says truly what something is said to be. If we say it is that, it's a diamond or it's not, right? If it's simulated, then it's imitation, right? And uh, it says the, the word authentic, uh, genuine means to be authentic, real, actual, bona fide, unhypocritical. And Jim used that as an illustration as he was preaching and uh, talked about those who were genuine followers of Jesus, not imitation followers of Jesus. And we talked about that yesterday, had a great time laughing and remembering the good old days, as we say. So genuine or simulated, imitating the appearance of. So have you ever thought about or considered the genuineness of your faith? You said, oh, man, that's a zinger. Have you ever thought about, considered the genuineness of your faith? The Bible says we should. In fact, in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13 and verse 5, uh, Paul tells us that we should examine ourselves to see 
whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Have you ever thought about or considered the genuineness of your faith? Do you struggle with your faith? Uh, Do you doubt the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you ever wonder if the salvation that you hold on to, that you claim, that you believe is real? It's the real thing or not? How can you know if your faith is genuine? Paul says we should test the genuineness, examine ourselves, test ourselves. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Do you know if your faith is genuine? And we're going to do it maybe a little bit different way because um, open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to work through uh, verses 6 to 12. We're going to really focus on verses 6 and 7, but 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, a hard copy of scriptures, you'd like to have that underneath the chair in front of you should be a Bible. In that Bible, page 850. Page 850 in that Bible. But here we go. You will know. So have you tested? How can you know that your faith is genuine? And I would say to you, you will know your faith is genuine when it is proven by suffering. Amen. When it is proven by suffering. And we're going to look at that this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me just start with verses 6 and 7 as we look at that. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. This is what we read. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed in all this you greatly rejoice what is the all this what what are we to rejoice in what's coming or what peter already said and i believe as we look back at that i believe peter is talking about verses three through five which we've spent some time in we were there easter sunday when if you'll look at that peter goes praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ and then he says in the, his great mercy has given us new birth. So in this, in all this, you greatly rejoice. What? We greatly rejoice in our salvation. But let me, before I get to that, let me zero in on that greatly rejoice. You'll know you're a genuine believer when you do greatly rejoice in your salvation. When you greatly rejoice in the things that God has done in your life. And that doesn't mean all just the good things. We need to greatly rejoice. We need to learn to do that. Genuine believers rejoice greatly, are extremely joyful in their new birth. That's what we sang about. John had us singing on that. We're grateful for our justification. That's a big word, but it means to be declared right by God in his sight. And that's a big deal, folks. 
That's a huge thing. And uh, as, as Paul said later on in, in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he said that we ought to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, the, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Peter says it in, in all this Rejoice greatly, greatly rejoice, be extremely happy in our new birth that we're born again in the living hope that we have, um, in the indestructible inheritance that we've been given that will not perish, not spoil, not fade away in the ultimate future salvation that we have to look forward to. That's what we ought to be rejoicing in, folks. But we as believers can be, you heard me say it before, say it again, we as believers can be some of the grumpiest people on the face of the earth. How can that be? How can that be? (laughs) Think about, in this you greatly rejoice, in all this our salvation, that we've been born again. That we have been forgiven of our sin. That we have been set free from sin. That we have been given an inheritance far greater than any earthly inheritance you could ever receive. That we have that future salvation. That we know we will be like Jesus when we see him. Because we'll see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3. Wow. We could go on, but folks, rejoice always. But how do we do that? Well, when you think about our salvation, how can we not do that? I have a book on my shelf from years ago written by, I believe it was Bill Hybels. It was about prayer. And, uh, you know, we talk about some too busy to pray, and it's like his title was too busy not to pray. And, and in this rejoicing, it ought to be too blessed not to rejoice. And that really is, is at the heart of what's going on here. So if we're going to talk about the genuineness of our salvation, there's got to be an overflow of the heart that can't help but rejoice in all the things that God has done for us in saving us. How about that, folks? Do you ever stop to think about that? It's critical. Peter goes on. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. A couple of other translations say it this way. Um, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In other words, the, the gist of what Peter is saying is suffering is God's will. It is in his hands. Suffering has to do with God's choice for us. Only if God wills it will we suffer. It is according to God's sovereign will, his choice. He will determine if and what we suffer. If we suffer and when we do, what it is. Now, I want to talk a little bit more in a bit about what is suffering because there can be confusion on that. 
But listen to me, folks. If we suffer, it is not because of evil men. It is not because of the devil. It is because God determines that for our life. God is in charge. There are arguments for those who talk about what's going to happen in the tribulation one of these days after Jesus comes again at the rapture and the suffering that's described for us in Scripture. Read through the book of Revelation and see all that's there. And, and one of the things that people like to argue about as well is that is that of the beast? Is that of Satan? Is that of uh, the people on the earth that are evil, that suffering comes from them. No, it all comes from God because he is in charge. And he's made the plan by which we live our lives. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That ought not to be a strange thing. We looked at a verse last week in 1 Peter 4. We're not going there today. We'll get there eventually. But talked about don't let it be. Don't think it's something strange because of the fiery ordeal that we have to go through. The suffering that Peter is talking about is reviewed that way. 1 Peter 1 verse 7. These sufferings, these have come, these sufferings or trials that he just talked about in verse 6, that we might have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, should God determine that for us. These sufferings or trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, there it is, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, there are two questions that we've got to ask. And as you're thinking through the text here, you've got to be thinking, okay, so what is suffering? I said there's at times confusion or, or misunderstanding about what Peter means when he talks about suffering. I certainly don't want to minimize the suffering that people both who know Jesus and those who don't deal with when they face death, the suffering, the emotional suffering, the turmoil that that puts into the life of people when somebody you know well and love dies, right? That can do that. The suffering that we feel of with pain or with loss. I mean, we read about the, the tornadoes that have been tearing up our country and the loss of life and the suffering as a result. And certainly, we don't want to minimize that. And that is for those people at that time suffering. But that's not the kind of suffering that Peter means here. When Peter's talking about suffering, when he says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, it's not because of earthquakes or hurricanes or death or loss or friendship, relationship breakups or loss of a job or whatever else. That kind of suffering that Peter's talking about has everything to do with being a believer, being a follower of Jesus Christ. Suffering is the normal outcome of living differently for Christ. That's what Peter's talking about. And uh, trials and difficult circumstances qualify as suffering 
only, only if it is opposition that we face because we are followers of Jesus Christ. You see, suffering is directly connected to, related to our salvation in the book of 1 Peter. That's what we're talking about. Having to do with our faith in Jesus Christ. Came across a, a couple of statements in, uh, in uh, one of the writers that I was reading said this, Peter was addressing the impact that salvation has on one's life and how that changed life and status runs counter to the culture in which these Christians lived. So the believers that Peter is addressing were, were facing a completely different culture than what they had been taught as believers they were supposed to deal with. And so in the difference of that, they would face the impact that salvation had on their life, the change that it brought to their life brought about suffering for them because it ran completely counter to the culture in which they lived. Folks, that's true today too. You and I know who know Jesus are different. We've talked about that as we introduced our theme, living differently in difficult days. We are different. Why? Because we know Jesus. That same writer continues this. He says, suffering is events that occur solely because of that person's stand for the gospel of salvation and a decision to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. If you are a believer and stay in your house 24-7, you're not going to suffer. If you're a believer at work on the job and you sit in your cubicle or your office or wherever eight hours a day and don't interact with anybody and never tell anybody about your relationship with Christ or never let it be seen that you know Jesus, you're not going to suffer. It's only because we know Jesus and live like it. That's the suffering that Peter is talking about. Now then, why do we suffer? So what is suffering? has to do with our salvation and letting, it, letting our light shine. And people see that, it's going to rub them the wrong way because the culture in which we live is completely opposite. Now then, why do we suffer? That's part of it. But let me ask you to look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And verse... 18. John chapter 15 and verse 18. And here's what Jesus says. All right. I have it on the screen if you don't have it and want to follow, but in your Bibles, John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember, Jesus is talking here. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He's talking to the disciples who were struggling. They felt like they'd been mistreated. They probably were being hated. And so this is what Jesus says, verse 19. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 
Verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. We other servants, who's the master? Jesus. All right, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's suffering, folks. And Jesus was discipling his followers, his disciples. He was teaching them. He was helping them to understand that what he was asking them to do was going to cause people, when they went out traveling, when they went out seeking to make disciples of all nations, which they would be told to do later on, he was training them for that now. When they did that, they would be hated. They would be disliked because they didn't fit with the culture of the world. Now, hold on to that truth, because that's what we're talking about here. That's what's there, why we suffer. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You see, that's the definition of suffering that Peter's talking about. Persecution because we name the name of Jesus. Are you with me? So because of our salvation, we suffer, but there's more. Look at this, so that, look at verse 7, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. Because here it is, this is more of it, it has to do with our salvation because God wants to prove the genuineness of our salvation. He wants to refine us as gold you understand that gold is refined. Gold is made more pure by being heated up, by being put in the fire, and it burns out the impurities. They call it dross, burns that out so the gold is more pure. And, and Jesus, Peter is using an analogy here in verse 7. He's saying the analogy is that just like gold is heated up, it's fired up to burn out the impurities to make it more valuable so we will be persecuted. Jesus allows that so that our faith will be burned out the impurities so that we will be more like Jesus, so that we will be more valuable as followers of him on this earth. Amen. To prove the genuineness of our faith, of our salvation. That word refined has to do with being tested in battle. Since I've been a chaplain, I haven't thought about it much. There's not a lot of crime in Clark Summit, folks. Well, there is crime, but please don't, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> But it's a whole lot different than other places. Every once in a while, though, we get in a little bit of a situation. I'm out with the chaplain and, and riding around with one of our officers, and we come across some things, and, 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 and I, I get a little um, nervous. Um, all I have is a radio. <laughs> so if something happens, uh, help, help. You know, it's like, I, I know what I'm supposed to see, say, um, you know, it's Chaplain 4, I get on the radio and, and we're in trouble, uh, you know, hopefully I'd never have to say that, never would have to do that, but 
I've often thought if one of those officers is going to have to protect me if we would ever get into that kind of a situation, I don't want a guy who just got out of the academy last week. Amen. Right? I want a guy who's been at it for a while, who I know has gone through years of practice at, at the range and can shoot and isn't going to miss, you know, like they do on TV, right? Uh, and, and I want a guy who's tested and proven under fire. I've been out with some newer officers, and, and they do respond a little differently because they're new, right? That happens in anything. We want somebody who's tested. And Jesus is saying, Peter is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the proven genuineness of your faith, you're tested in battle, you're examined critically, you're, you're, you've been put to the test and found approved. That's what that word means. And that's what Jesus is saying needs to be true of our salvation. And that's why he proves the genuineness of our faith with suffering. Now that's the context. Gold is refined by fire. It burns out the impurities. Our salvation needs to be tested and refined by the fire of suffering. Because if it's not real, we walk away. And that's why we have that. Read through this last week in, in uh, the text of we're in Matthew with our D group and Matthew chapter 13 and, and um, verse 18 uh, Jesus is talking about the sower and the soils, and he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. He said, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because of the world, because of the word, not the word of God, be, when trouble or persecution comes because of what they now have said they believe the word of God, they quickly fall away. You see, testing proves the genuineness or lack of in the life of an individual. That's what we're reading about here. Demonstrates it. The suffering demonstrates the reality of what we say and believe. Suffering does to faith what fire does to gold. That's what Peter's saying. But he also says our faith is more valuable than that gold, even the most refined gold. Why? Because that gold will one day eventually perish. Our faith, if it's proven, if it's real, if it's genuine, if it's authentic, will never be destroyed or perish. And look at the outcome of our suffering. Peter says that, the end of verse 7, that that suffering may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When we see Jesus again, those of us who know Jesus and those of us who have an authentic faith in Jesus, not just a simulated, imitated faith, but the real thing that's been tested and proven, 
we will be given praise and glory and honor when he's revealed. Now, that's probably, there are those who would say, well, is that praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ because of our life, or is it praise and honor and glory to us that Jesus gives to us because that we have been genuine, we've been proven genuine in our faith? I think it could be both. I think it, I think it is to the believer. That's the outcome when our faith is genuine and proven. Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe, you trust in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, as we understand suffering and all that God intends for us as believers before him, the, the, the reality of our faith will be tested when we suffer. And God allows that. It will be tested because we are believers and we're different. And there needs to be that different scene in our lives. But we will be tested because God wants to prove us genuine. Tested under fire. And he says in this, he says, though you have not seen him. Remember, he's talking to the believers in, in Asia Minor. They did not see Jesus like Peter did. Peter had been with Jesus on the earth during, during his, his life. And, and he's saying, though you have not seen him, you love him. You've come to know Jesus. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. That's the idea of trust. You've put your trust in him. You've given him your life. You love him. For you are received, and he says, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Some would say that's all future. No, it's both. He says, for you are receiving right now. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're, we've been saved. We are a child of God. We're no longer a child of the devil. We're no longer an enemy of God. We are saved. We're continuing to be saved. And that's what's going on. And that's where the joy comes. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we grow in our faith, the more we become like Jesus, the more joy we have the more we understand. And the inexpressible and glorious joy goes right back to verse 6 where as Peter says, in all these things, our salvation, that we're born again, we greatly rejoice. How can we do that? Well, it's because of our salvation and the promise of an inheritance, the forgiveness of our sin now and for eternity. And that becomes a reality in the future when Jesus Christ comes again, when he's revealed and we become like Jesus. It's interesting, you go down to verses 10, 11, and 12 and we read about the prophets who, who spoke about the coming of Jesus and even they did not know all of what was going on. They didn't understand the time and we're told that and even the angels didn't know but it's been revealed to us because that's amazing, valuable truth 
that we've been given. And the prophets were told, the prophets who predicted all of that and said to the people and preached these truths, says, yes, they did it for us. If you look at that, verse 12, he says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. That's us. It was, of course, the believers in Asia Minor, but today it's us. We've benefited from having that truth prophesied to us. So how do I illustrate suffering for you as I was thinking about this and, and the testing of our faith and, and, and the, the genuineness of our salvation? And I thought there's got to be a way I could illustrate how I've suffered because of my faith in Christ, how I've suffered because I stood for God, how I suffered because somebody did something to me for no other reason than I said, I know Jesus. And I didn't have an illustration. Can you relate to that? You know, I was thinking through, and, and as we go through First Peter, when we talk about suffering, can we really relate to what Peter's talking about to these first century believers? Do we understand suffering? Because here in the United States, we don't. When have I suffered? When has suffering for my living out the gospel so strongly brought me to Christ? Closer to Christ. I'm not suggesting that we should seek suffering, but is this really relevant to us today? I mean, as we think about Peter's talking about suffering and that we will suffer, it's true in many parts of the world today. People are dying for their faith, martyred, killed for no other reason than they know Jesus and aren't afraid to tell anybody about it, everybody about it. But what about us? And as I was thinking about, what does this mean? What does this matter? Here's what I came across. I, I was, it was great because I, I was stuck. I was just, I don't get how to tell our people this because we can't. No matter what, I could read you stories of people who suffered in India or China or Iran or Iraq. They suffered for their faith. They were killed. They were tortured, whatever. But I it wouldn't mean anything to us because we're here. And then I read this. Writer says, I'm arguing that suffering, while it may not be as much a part of the everyday fabric of our lives as it was when Peter was writing, now listen, should probably be more a part of our lives than it is. Suffering. The contrast between the Christian community's belief in the gospel as well as its commitment to holy living, those things ought to be true of us, and on the other hand, our culture's unbelief in the gospel and its permissiveness ought to generate more sparks than it does. I contend that one of the reasons there are so few sparks is because the fires of commitment and unswerving confession of the truth of the gospel are too frequently set on low flame as if the church grows best if it only simmers rather than boils. Are you getting that? He ends, accordingly, one of the reasons it is hard to apply this feature of 1 Peter to our world is our own problem. 
We should not then accuse the text of being hopelessly irrelevant. We can only accuse ourselves of being dormant and sleepy. I hope that grabs you right here. Again, I'm not suggesting that we pursue suffering, folks, but if we live the type of life that Peter is talking about to suffering believers that they need to live, and next week we get into the verse that John quoted for us, be ye holy because I am holy. If we live holy lives today, listen, because of our culture's unbelief in the gospel and its permissiveness in every area of life, contrasted with our belief in the gospel and our commitment to holy living, how in the world can we not suffer? Because what we believe rubs this culture, this world, the wrong way, folks. And that's what Peter's saying. Wow. How about it? How genuine is your salvation? See, because if it's not, and you hear me read that, you're like, man, I'm not sure I want to be part of that. So what if? What if you chose to greatly rejoice in your salvation? All the time. So what if the unswerving confession of the truth of the gospel were boiling hot in your life? So what if your commitment to holy living was so different than it has been that as a result you suffered for it? What if? I'm not trying to create doubt about your salvation, but I want you to see the reality of what you say you believe and the need to live it out. And when we do, we will suffer persecution. Is your faith genuine? How are you living differently? Because you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you need him today. Because he's the only one that can forgive your sin, change your life, give you hope, give you life, give you purpose, give you meaning, give you victory over fear, and bring you before our God who knows you and loves you and will forgive your sin if you believe on him and what he did on the cross when he gave his life for us. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to suffer for us, to die in our place for our sins. Thank you for those here today who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and have been forgiven and who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, who have been declared right before you, Almighty God.
Oh God, I pray that we as believers would examine ourselves, put our faith to the test. God, grip our hearts with the difference that has to be because of Jesus in our lives. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.